Oh, bringing our whole beings here, connecting our awareness with our breath, the felt sensation in and out through our bodies. breath rising, filling us, staying connected with it wherever we feel it. The out-breath falling, leaving us with many sensations, each of which we can feel. Connecting our awareness with sensations of the body, sound as it enters our ear, sensations that come from sitting in this space.
being here for the sensations we're experiencing when they come to us. Staying connected during their duration as they leave. bringing simple attention to our thinking, to our thoughts as they pass through our mind. Allowing our awareness to be with any emotions we might sense. As they arise in our bodies, in our minds, In a few moments, I'll ring the bell and we can allow our awareness to open to those sounds as they arise for the length of their duration as they pass away.
loud noise. <laughs> I'm wired. Good evening, everyone. My name is Carolyn Dilly, and Gil asked me to come and speak with you all tonight. Um, he told me that this is the last of his introduction to mindfulness meditation, the last a class in that series the last week. And generally in this tradition, um, we talk about mindfulness and meditation in our daily lives at this time, at the end of the series. And so that's what I'm going to do tonight. I think so often we... um, make a distinction, um, particularly when we're just kind of starting out with mindfulness practice between the practice uh, and our daily lives. And I think this we have a habit sort of of compartmentalizing things. Um, and that's partly due to the way we're trained to differentiate and make distinctions, and that's partly to do with just the way our minds are set up. We, um, our minds are set up to compartmentalize, and that's the way we learn a lot of things, which is very wonderful and useful to us. But it can be um, unhelpful when we turn our attention to spiritual inquiry, because that kind of inquiry asks another way of learning that's not a compartmentalizing way of learning. Um, We're we're so used to linear thinking, to like black and white cause and effect, one thing following another, uh, that that sometimes we kind of get ideas in our heads about uh, what we might need to do to really get into spiritual inquiry. I think this is very common. I certainly remember that um, I had ideas like that. Um, For example, in order to really go deeply into mindfulness and spiritual inquiry here, we might, might have to lead a really renunciate life or become like a monk or a monastic. And we have often in the background of that, uh, and it's sometimes unacknowledged, um, that if we're doing, if we're just kind of going along and living our lives and we're, 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 we're doing any less than complete, full-on, you know, renouncing the world, that we're not really getting it. Or sometimes um, we can just be kind of confused and up in the air um, because if we just started sitting and started this practice, you've gone through the first four weeks of it, um, hopefully, and have kept coming back and doing, uh, uh, integrating it in a way um, as best you can. So you've done that. And that little bit of sitting down, that you, the habit that you've established is... Um, it's kind of brought such a refreshment 
and a relief that it, it contrasts in a very stark way with the rest of life. Oh my goodness, the rest of everything's totally messed up. But when I sit down and just meditate, ah, then it's very nice. So I'd like to explore a little tonight and look at it from a different, a little different perspective, perhaps, um, which is that daily life is meditation practice, and meditation practice is daily life. And just by viewing them separately, um, by formulating a question of how to integrate them one with another, we're likely to miss the actual fact that they are one and the same. At the same time, uh, there's always at the same time. <laughs> it all goes together. Um, it's useful to look at practicalities and techniques and things we can do. Um, and, and I'm going to suggest some that have worked for me, and not just me, but from, from my own experience, I can say this, and many other people as well. And these are grounded in uh, the Buddhist texts of awareness and intention, concentration, all the things that, um, that have been kind of unfolding during this four weeks of introduction to mindfulness, um, awareness, mindfulness, concentration. And I, I know that each one of us will discover ones of our own that work for us best in our lives. Um, so I'll just say a few. Uh, I found it very um, helpful to read a poem or two aloud every day that... Um, it's, it's really wonderful how that, the resonance coming from our own body and the reflection of our body and mind kind of come together when we read a poem out loud. We hear someone else's words, yet it's coming through our body. So it's that kind of an integration um, that works for me. And it also, um, just as mindfulness itself does, the practice of sitting down to be aware and be mindful... Uh, it kind of gives a different perspective. It's really nice to do this in the morning before or after the morning paper. It's a little different view on the world than what the paper's bringing us or the the news if you watch the news. Um, Another thing is to maybe take a walk with with no aim or goal in mind. And that can be a walk. It's nice if you can do it in nature, but uh, just a walk around your house or around your apartment and, and just noticing all the things that are around there um, in, in kind of a simple way without making, just, just keeping your mindful attention on what your eyes notice, what your ears notice as you walk around. Um, and you might have to get up a little, it doesn't have to be a long period of time, maybe just five minutes and you get up a little earlier to do this. If you get up early in the morning, you can... Just hear the bird song and just be aware of that. Um, but if some people that doesn't work for getting up early, you can at night go out in the evening and listen to the sounds, smell the smells of the evening. You can also kind of play with in a playful way, in the sense play of, of holding things lightly. Explore... Um, 
balance in your life and harmony about with your work activities and your social activities, your family activities. And then, of course, paying attention to your body is always very um, a great ground for awareness practice. Uh, to know when it's alert, to know when it's really tired, to know when your body is truly hungry or just eating from habit. Another thing for you, I'm, I'm not sure, I should ask, it just occurred to me, because um, I didn't really check in with Gil on this, uh, this time, but have you done some um, metta practice or loving kindness practice in this? Uh, you haven't done any of that. Okay. Um, well, we'll skip that part for another, for another series. Of course, a lot of this, what, what I just said, are, are, it's just common sense in a way. But so often we get uh, wrapped up in our lives in a way that excludes our common sense. It's good to know we can touch base with that. Um, and that that is a part of spiritual inquiry. Connecting with our whole being. Bringing all the parts together including our common sense. It's just another way of saying that our meditation practice is our daily life, and our daily life is our meditation practice. Because these practices that we do are natural ones. They're accessible to anyone who chooses to explore them. They're not esoteric, and they don't require special settings like Himalayan caves or great renunciations. And there are many others, of course. Other people have other suggestions. And we each ourselves come up with these. These arise in us naturally. So the ones I've just briefly listed um, perhaps might be helpful. But if they leave the impression there's like a laundry list or, or kind of, you know, a book that you can follow to do, to become happy and free, specific things, then, then they won't have been useful and they will have been misleading. Because there's no list and no book. It's, it's our life is the book for each one of us in each moment. And it's not uh, so much about a program that we set up, because setting up the programs is often, uh, we, we can often feel guilty if we don't follow the program, which is not a good cycle to get into. You know, in one sense, there, there kind of is a program, I think, but we're following it more than, than, uh, than or it's, kind of following us. It's, it's unfolding in our lives in each moment, each day, each breath. Um, a metaphor that I like from one of my teachers who teaches, who talks here sometimes, Angie Boisevan, is, uh, is uh, that we're kind of being cooked by our practice. We're like the pieces of onion and carrot and celery that go into the soup. You know, the soup simmering 
kind of softens up all these pieces. It softens up all these bits of us, and it just happens naturally. And we contribute our flavor to the broth. I like this for a lot of reasons. It points out to, you know, first of all, how we can just relax. It's not a program. It's going to happen. It is happening. You know, it, it is happening. We're in the soup. We're in that pot. I mean, in one sense, the only thing we need to do is, is put ourselves in the pot. There is some intention involved, in other words, to just sitting down with the intention to be aware. All the rest happens. And we nourish ourselves and others in the, by this process. And of course, we can be mindful at any moment, whether we're on the cushion or not. The, the important reason that we do come together like we did tonight and sit down and do a formal sitting practice, a sitting practice, or do it on our own each day, is to remind us of what mindfulness is, is that it's a very deep part of our human nature. It's our birthright. It's born within us. We, we come with mindfulness. It's, um, it's part of our collective genetic code. Suzuki Roshi, who was um, a Zen uh, teacher and um, started the San Francisco Zen Center many years ago, um, he put it this way, the purpose of meditation practice is to discover the freedom that exists in our minds and bodies. And sitting meditation is a training that carries into every aspect of our lives just as the soup nourishes every part of us. When we eat that soup, it nourishes our eyes and our blood and our brains, our minds, every part of us. I'd like to mix up a bunch of metaphors um, now. And perhaps this will kind of serve as a kaleidoscope, I I hope, (laughs) to take in different parts of this picture so that we might see how mindfulness works in our daily lives. Because it's interactive like a kaleidoscope is in a way. We turn it and it reveals to us we... We take into our eyes and our minds, our brains process these different patterns and colors um, as we turn around. And then we get different views. So one uh, one metaphor that I like to use is that daily sitting practice is kind of a mental hygiene that conditions our days. Just as we get up and brush our teeth and take our shower, you know, it kind of... Condition. I mean, we could do it at, at, at night, too. I'm not saying when you have to do it, but it kind of conditions our days. Um, when I was making notes for this talk earlier, I, I noticed that I jotted down hygiene. Hy- and that really tickled me. You know, this genie popped out. Here I'm thinking of toothbrushing, and the genie pops out. Hi, genie, you know. It's, uh, of course, that reminded me immediately that in in Buddhist texts, um, Shakyamuni Buddha uses several famous metaphors of being lamps unto ourselves and being lights unto ourselves. 
And in, in, a, in a sense, what we do in, in, in meditation practice is rub the lamp of our own innate awareness. Sitting down with no agenda, but to be aware of what arises is a clearing away of the clutter, our clutter. And we all know we have lots of that. And the, and the interesting thing is that it goes on after we get up from the sitting. Um, it, it is affecting our daily activities. Hygiene also brought up another metaphor or maybe linguistic note. Uh, it brought up medicine and, and medical and meditation share the same root, med which the Latins picked up from the Greeks. And that root means measure, as in take the measure, as in measured, moderate, moderation. It also has very ancient connotations with healing because one of the Greek gods was of healing was Medos. So that's where it originally comes from. And it very much relates to the Buddhist view of healing, of of, of integrating, making whole our, our lives, our daily lives, which is the middle way, uh, that measure, that middle, moderate way. We participate in awareness to take the measures of what comes up for us, our breath, sensations, our thoughts, our emotions, And as we do so, we tap into the spring. It's another metaphor. The spring is there, it's part of us, and it never runs dry. And meditation helps us discover that, both in in sitting down to just train ourselves to be aware that it's there, and in our daily life. And that's what the story goes that the Buddha did. And he said... um, before there was Buddhism, there was just the Buddha, and he was uh, many things written down of what he said. And one I'm not quoting now, but just sort of paraphrasing in my own words and my own understanding. He said what he had done was to just uncovered this deep and complete wellspring of our lives. It's always there but we forget about it. And he didn't get into the why we forget about it um, and why we are the way we are. Well, we're, we're really, we've got it all, we are whole, but we forget about it. He just said, well, I've discovered this and I think it's important. There is this deep, um, this deep awareness, this deep wellspring of our life and, and then he said, here are some means to access it, to see it, to see it whole and clear, to see our lives whole and clear. As we tap into this spring this, and let this integration unfold, what happens is that it, we become more natural in our lives. Like birds, they eat their seeds or their worms or their insects and then they sing their songs and they build their nests and they raise their young. Of course, we're not birds. 
Um, but the analogy appeals to me because it points to a place of non-separation, of practice and our daily lives, of where we're unselfconscious as birds or other animals, where each of us finds just a natural unselfconscious individual expression. So I've mentioned like one way that we keep that we tap into the spring is meditation practice. Another way is uh, tapping into our curiosity. Our, our curiosity is a natural ally for bringing sitting practice and other aspects of our lives together. And this faculty too is much discussed in Buddhist texts and it's usually called investigation there. And um, it's, it's also one of the, uh, the classic factors of uh, enlightenment in Buddhism of really waking up to the whole big picture. And this kind of curiosity, its uh, we can sort of develop that and see that. I mean, it's there, but we can develop our awareness of it, allow it to express itself. What is going on here in this exchange that I'm having with a colleague? Or what's going on with my anger at the guy who you know, cut in front of me too fast on the road? Here's another metaphor. I really got into playing around with the metaphors. Um, Sometimes I do compare meditation practice to a software debugger. We're we're running lots of programs and and many of them are distinctly messed up. So once we install the debugger, um, we start to see where the glitches are and where we get hung up. and that's all we have to do. Then the debugger's running on its own and it's sort of taking care of things in a way. So it's not a huge project once we kind of just bring that intention to be aware there. You know, I, I kind of like to do a little outline of how this might work in an everyday occurrence. And it kind of unfolds as a process. And in real time, these come together very quickly, but it takes time through language to kind of describe them and break them down. So in action in our daily lives, um, definitely can involve mindful awareness of the situation as it's happening, noticing that that person is tailgating me and what one's the thoughts and feelings that arise after one notices that. Um, oh, I noticed that. And then, what else am I noticing? Oh, I have a thought that that's bad form. Doesn't anyone know about road courtesy anymore? And then I have, um, perhaps I feel some anxiety or uh, discomfort in my body around that thought or around this event that's unfolding. Um, and then I can do a review of alternative actions. I, could, I can say, oh, well, I could decelerate or put on the brakes or speed up or make a rude finger gesture or see whether there's room somewhere else on the road to go. And then I can select an action. And I can select any number of actions, of course. Um, with the sort of cooking that goes on, the sort of being in the soup of awareness, um, 
we often notice that we select actions which are more um, easy on ourselves and on others. We kind of get a sense of how we're connected with others. We kind of get a sense of how we share the road, even though they're doing something that's not very nice. And it's really important to see that connection, I think, especially in our daily lives, because, of course, life presents us with situations that aren't very nice and calm and sitting back. And If someone's being harmed, we might have to summon the courage to help them, even if it means using physical force, uh, even if it means putting ourselves in danger or harm's way. And those, too, are very basic parts of our human nature, as, as we know when there are those dramatic situations when people rescue others. Not that, not that practice necessarily makes heroines or heroes of us, but we do see over time more clearly how our own well-being and those of others are inextricable and how to act from that ground of knowledge. We can see many opportunities for our daily life practice in ethics and morality. Um, Wise action is is a natural thing in a worldly situation. We're usually doing something more in the world than just sitting and watching our breath. But it's it's kind of an essence. Watching the breath with great care and attention can debug our stuck places and open possibilities of action that perhaps we wouldn't have seen before. Then when we're driving or working on solving a problem with others or building something or even doing something as simple as washing the dishes, we can act with care and attention, which is a kind of a wise action. And speaking is also a really very fertile ground of practicing in our lives and seeing how this awareness that we're cultivating when we sit down in meditation Uh, can open us to our connection with others, which is what we're doing when we speak. It's discussed a lot in Buddhist ethics. Um, But this isn't a kind of an analysis that we have to say, oh, am I doing the right thing? It's just being aware that am I speaking in 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 a... wise way, in an attentive way, in a careful way. It's just being aware of what kind of speech uh, wants to be expressed in us. Sometimes this we'll find ourselves, even though we're kind of at loggerheads with someone, actually we might just get a glimpse of another way to view something that that we and this other person don't agree on. We might find ourselves speaking in a a kind way or just even a way that suspends judgment, not perhaps actual kindness, but just suspending judgment. 
in a way that's kind of a generosity practice. It's it's a very simple practice, but it's but it's quite can be quite transformative, especially this generosity of spirit um, rather than of material things. When we're speaking and particularly listening to others with care and attention, with the same care and attention that we cultivate when we sit down with ourselves and notice how our breath is, be with our breath. Really feel that. Listen to it completely and carefully. Then this sense of separation, this... um, tends to dissolve after time through listening, through acting in the world, through being aware that the practice, the separation of the practices here on the cushion is different from my life. We start to really see how much we are all together there in that soup. Um, poets and other artists often allude to this wellspring of awareness and I'd like to close with a poem by William Stafford Um, this is from a collection of his work called The Way It Is the poem is called Yes it could happen any time Tornado, earthquake, Armageddon. It could happen. Or sunshine, love, salvation. It could, you know. That's why we wake and look out. No guarantees in this life, but some bonuses like morning, like right now, like noon, like evening. It could happen. That's why we wake and look out. Well, thank you for your attention. And... um, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Any observations you have of your own life and practice after these four weeks of introduction to mindfulness? Or any questions you have? Yes. So offer um, as to go as to go on well um, keeping on sitting every day is a very good way to go on and here you have uh, the resource of this of this center so um, it can be a resource. It's helpful for some people to um, to gather with others and to listen to others. Um, 
they're also um, there are other resources too, but the most um, the most important from my experience is to um, to get in touch with your own experiences by just simply sitting down and and seeing the kind of the uh, the mir- the bonus, as William Stafford puts it, of your own awareness, this awareness that just is in us, this wellspring that doesn't uh, desert us, that's always there. Well, these actually, there's a whole schedule here somewhere, right? Um, and. On the back table, and I believe there's another series of introduction to mindfulness coming up in March. Yeah. Is that? But, but Thursday nights, the, it, you keep coming. You can keep coming on Thursday nights at the same time. The format changes a little bit. Whereas, like tonight, it began with a, a silent sitting. She did a, a guided meditation, but it starts with a 30-minute, um, maybe silent or, or, or guided meditation followed by uh, 45 minutes of talk and discussion or a little bit longer and maybe ends with a short sitting. That continues. And what's going to happen in, in um, March is that the introductory series, the class formats are going to move over to Wednesday night. But Thursday night it's going to be geared that the, the teachers are coming and talking on the more... Um, So there are many resources here, and uh, this is like your first time. Then uh, come back again for um, to kind of uh, get the background on <laughs> on what I was talking about tonight. Uh, you missed the first part, so. But it's there and it's um, it's available. Monday night would be good, which is the the uh, the main person who speaks here. Gil uh, is very experienced, uh, and he has led the class up until this point. He's gone through all the all the steps and the techniques that I was talking about, the means to access that the Buddha kind of outlined. So. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm, uh, first took this class two years ago. Mm. So for those that are new, I want to say that everything you spoke of tonight, not everything, but for me, touching on what you spoke of, for me, started to happen after about two or three months of regular Mm-hmm. I kept faith, and then some things you start talking about, so subtle, 
so subtle, starting from in the daily mind. So I just want to affirm that for the others. And everybody I understand sort of has a, a lot of people have that experience at different times. Some people after two weeks, some people after many months. For me, it was about three months. And all of a sudden, I started seeing things differently. All of a sudden. And literally, it came at one moment. <laughs> I, well, I told the story before, but I, what happened, I was meditating, 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 and uh, noticing that I was forgetting my friend. Oh, and I kept noticing that, noticing, noticing. Then one day I was turning on my computer, and I had two computers, a Mac and a Windows. I don't like the Windows computer. <laughs> so when I turned it on, I have a degree of anxiety. Make myself use this thing. So I turn on and check the email. Every time I turn on, I kind of don't like it. Like, here it goes. So it's antics. And after about three months of meditation, one day I just turn it on and I say, wait. And all of a sudden I totally recognize the stress in myself that I built up over some bad experience with this computer. Not that the other had to do that. It was really amazing because I found as the computer came on, I was starting to get keyed up, and then I went, I just breathed. I just noticed my breath. And, and I went, wow, that's like meditation. Hmm. So when you asked me all of a sudden, yeah, it was three months of meditating, like, you know, how long can I go on? This is And your name is? Ken. Ken. Thank you very much for sharing those stories, those experiences. It's kind of you know, personal. I thought I'd better tell it because it's like, uh, yeah, I uh, then started noticing that many times. Like, well, I was getting ready for a trip one time. Getting ready for a trip is a complete panic for me. It was a camp out. And I meet my friends up in the forest, and we drive five hours to get up to this land. So after I've been meditating a few months and going through the normal hype of, you know, why didn't I get this camp here very sooner? And it's just so much work. And but this time, every time I picked up one thing to organize, I just kind of took a breath. Mm-hmm. And I found that getting ready, maybe I even got ready a little quicker because I wasn't agonizing. And I used to get so upset. I'd be so mad at myself. I hadn't prepared this stuff. And now I just kind of Um, I kind of alluded to earlier there there are um, each of us has our own way and as Ken kind of alluded to we we each have our own timetable too so our our mind tends to want to go in uh, latch onto and go in a certain direction and say oh that's it that's in the book that's the manual that's the way you do it but uh Really, it is, it just keeps springing up. It's just the wellspring just keeps coming up. So each of your experiences may be 
very different than Ken's and your timetable may be very different than his. Um, But we recognize that we, mindfulness allows us, these practices of mindful awareness allow us uh, to recognize where we get stuck sometimes, as Ken described in his stories. Uh, this center is a wonderful resource for that. Mm. And also, if, if you find that you've been sitting for a while and you'd like to uh, expand it a little more, um, about once a month we have uh, one day sittings on Saturdays usually here at the center. And you can um, come for like the morning uh, or as long as you feel like you'd like to. But very interesting to see what it's like to put two or more uh, periods of sitting together interspersed with walking meditation, which we haven't done here, at least on standing but not walking, and to see what it's like when you start um, settling down more, which happens uh, when you do more more sitting and walking practices together. And you might come uh, with the intention of maybe staying for the morning and not feel like you're, you have to There, at one point, I, I asked if you, if this, uh, if Gil was doing um, a whole other form of meditation practice um, called loving kindness practice in this introductory series, and um, he hasn't. But but those are those are uh, a whole another kind of way of approaching what our life is. Um, and how to allow our life to come together. Um, There are many um, practices in this kind of Buddhist meditation and they're all in the service of allowing us to see our our deepest nature and our truest nature. Uh, And you can tune into a lot of them here as Allison has pointed out. And it is very interesting also, as she said, to explore because this is our life. What 
we have, what do we do with it? I mean, we do many things with it. We do things with our work and our families, etc. But we're all here together looking at another something in our life that we want to put together. So it's, uh, it's large and wonderful. Yes, Ken. I think since we're talking about beginning, we should mention about books. I was very interested when I started, so I asked a lot of people, what's a good beginner's book? And it's hard to find one that is a really good beginner's book. You must need this teaching. But if, if one is very interested, there are some books that are not too complex. And I think of the ones I began reading, the one called Mindfulness in Plain English, Mm-hmm. That's um, yeah. I I uh, consciously kind of kept away from that because we are so used to this idea of getting it out of a book, and this is such an experiential practice. It really there is no substitute for actually doing the practice, but. Given that, I mean, I just really like to emphasize that. But that said, um, there's our curiosity. We are curious. Buddhism is a huge field, and meditation is a huge field, and um, there's there's a lot out there's a lot out about it. Um, there's also an interesting thing which I've noticed in my own practice, particularly at the beginning, was that uh, that the um, the out loudness of it, the speaking to it, was a very important part of of the practice. And I'm not sure exactly. I have some theories, but I don't think it's that useful to go into them. Uh, how that is, but I just noticed that it is to come together and listen and to hear people speak um, about meditation, about these practices. And um, I would agree that if one wanted to look at one book on on kind of the nuts and bolts of meditation practice, that mindfulness in plain English is uh, is a good book as a kind of a reminder. But it's not like you can spend fifteen or thirty minutes reading the book and then and then that substitutes for sitting fifteen or thirty minutes. Uh-huh. Because I was so interested in hearing the teachers. The book indeed was just a reminder, so during the week I could get a repeat. Right. Uh, and if you uh, and if you want to sort of uh, a very simple, uh, if you're curious of a very uh, the, the the sort of essence of Buddhist teachings in the most simple and ancient form. There's, uh, there's a book called the Dhammapada, the way of the Dhamma, which means the way of understanding. Or, I mean, it's got a million translations. This is my translation. The way of understanding our life, our human life, most deeply. Uh, the Dhammapada, there are a lot of translations. 
Um, I guess a pretty accessible one to people is one by Thomas Cleary, uh, but you could check out a few of those because that gives um, that gives kind of the uh, kind of a, a poetic philosophical way of understanding what these teachings that I kind of alluded to about being in knowing our inextricability from everything else kind of addresses that in a way. Allison, we, we may have a, a few books on. They would be on the back table uh, on the Dhammapada for you to just take. They're, they're freely distributed by um, uh, Tansaro mm. Bhikkhu, mm. a translation he's done. Um, uh, so we have some books, I think, on the back table that you could help yourself to. Okay. Uh, in just this room, adjoining room. Oh, I didn't even know he'd done a translation, but he's an excellent. Um, is an American uh, who's a monk, a Buddhist monk, and he uh, is quite, quite clear, linguistically very clear. So, that might be interesting to you. Well, I think maybe we can end with uh, just the last five minutes of simple. Mindfulness, being aware of our whole being, our breath and body and our thinking process, uh, the sounds that come into our ears, any emotions we might feel, just they're all here. And we can just open our attention to them, to allow them to be and express themselves. <laughs> 